You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. They shall not escape. The great contrast. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore... Let us not sleep as others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that are drunken are drunken in the night. Let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. The reason for God hath not appointed us to wrath, Notice God's appointment there. But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. He kind of comes in verse 11 to the same conclusion he does over in 4.18, where he says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. He has a second part to this address to the Thessalonians in regards to the day of the Lord, the day of grace. First, he answers a question they asked because of the difficulty, the persecution, the suffering they were going through, and some of their loved ones had died. Where are we in all of this? What's going on? Timothy brings word to Paul, and Paul writes to them, no, no, look, the... the The dead in Christ are not missing out on anything. When the Lord returns, uh, they will experience resurrection, and then living believers will experience rapture. And wherever so will ever be with the Lord, comfort one another. There's the truth in regards to that. This this is the, the hope of the church. In regards to timing and whether you're in the day of the Lord, he's going to challenge them that they don't need to be fearful about the things they see coming on the world because they have a different destiny. And this passage puts in front of us contrasting destinies, uh, different appointments. Uh, One is an appointment with suffering and with death, with judgment. The other one is an appointment with the Lord himself. There are contrasting destinies. I would challenge you this morning as we begin to look at this. If you don't know Christ, maybe you've just been religious, you've never been born again, at least to think about these things. There's anywhere in the scripture that indicates this old world's just going to keep rumbling on 
and going forward and with the help of the UN and, and globalism, we're finally going to work everything out and the Environmental Protection Agency is going to clear up the air and the water again. We're all going to be able to breathe and eat safe, safely. There's not going to be any more war. And in a thousand or two thousand years from now, we're all going to have great big heads and little arms and we'll have evolved. And anything in the Bible, the Bible doesn't think about that. The Bible says things are going to wax worse and worse because man is sinful. We have weapons of mass destruction. No generation of humanity has ever lived that hasn't used the weapons at its disposal. And, and we're headed into a time such as the world has never seen, Jesus said, nor ever will again. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible says in context of that, there are contrasting destinies in regards to human beings. Those, it says, who are of the darkness who have resisted Christ, who don't want anything to do with God's salvation, it says their destiny is one of, here it's talking about surprise, shock, like a thief in the night. It says there will be sudden destruction. It says there will be pain, like a woman in labor pains and travail. And it says there's no possible way of escape from that for those who don't know Christ. Uh, they shall not it's the oi may, the double negative. The idea is there's no possible way they will escape what's coming on the world. The contrast to that in these passages are those who believe, who are Christ's own, they ha are, are children of the day, of light. They, they look towards deliverance. They look towards life. They look towards glory. And the contrast is shocking. It's striking as you look... As this is divided and put in front of us here, Paul's encouraging these Thessalonians and us that there's two different destinies, that God divides differently than humanity does. And he sees this world, two categories, the saved and the unsaved. He has a future business with Israel, but he sees the present world, the saved and the lost. And he puts that in front of us here, and he says, and look, I want to read through this. Take note of the contrast, okay? Verse 1, he, he talks about times and seasons, brethren, that's us. You don't have any need that I write unto you, verse 2, yourselves know. And again, verse 3, for when they, now there's the contrast. He went from you, yourselves, to they, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, not upon us, upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Verse 4, and, and both the ye and the you in verse 4 is emphatic in the structure, so it's like this. But you, you guys, you for yourselves, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you in contrast to all others. It should never overtake you as a thief. Ye are all children of light and children of the day. We, including himself now, are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others, those outside, but let us watch and be sober. Here it is, the contrast again. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us 
who are of the day. You get the idea as we go back and forth. Verse 9, you read us, our, we, we. There's a contrast all the way through here. It is very deliberately put forth forth in verse 4 and 5. He's saying there's a contrast. What is the contrast? He says it here. But ye, brethren, you for yourselves, you guys. But means in contrast to what he said about they in the verse before. Sudden destruction, travail upon a woman with child. They shall not escape. But you, as for you guys, you are not in darkness that that day should overtake you. You see the double that if you have King James. Your translation might say that the day. That 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 day is called a Hena clause. And the idea is... It should be translated in order that the day doesn't overtake you. And it's a clause that puts forth purpose. It's it's saying there's something laid out. So in contrast to the world that's going to be shocked and overwhelmed, he says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness in order that that day should not overtake you as a thief. That's not how it's going to come upon us. Because we're not in darkness. Now, the the Bible speaks of darkness in a literal, physical sense. That word here is used for darkness in the plain sense, nighttime darkness. It is used of intellectual darkness in the New Testament. Blinded minds, people who think wrongly. It's used of moral darkness in the New Testament. And it's used of spiritual darkness and certainly... Uh, I would say that would be our picture here, would be the the spiritual darkness. Uh, We are told this in Luke's gospel. It, It says that Christ has come to give light unto them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide their way in the way of peace. Matthew says also those who have sat in darkness have seen great light. We are told in the book of Acts, in chapter 26, it says to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith uh, that is in me, Jesus speaking. So we are certainly in the context here of spiritual darkness and that we as believers are no longer in that place of spiritual darkness look what's it saying is this there's no twilight i don't care if there's a twilight saga twilight in the movies twilight on television i don't see any of that stuff i liked vampires when bella lugosi when there were real actors around you know uh, <laughs> boris karloff but you know uh, the idea is there's no middle ground there's no twilight There's no gray. It's saying here there's darkness and there's light. That's all there is. There's no middle ground. There's saved and there's unsaved. There's redeemed and there's lost. And and to comfort our culture and that we, we like to soften everything. But you do that, there's no clarity. In a world that's lost and perishing, clarity is so important. And the Bible is abundantly clear. And it's telling us here in verses 4 and 5, look, there is this contrast. You have to understand that. Yes, there's the day of the Lord. It is a terrible day. It is coming. 
When it comes, it will seize. It says here that it shouldn't overtake you. That word overtake means to seize, to catch, to lay hold on. The day of the Lord, when it comes, it's not going to do that in our lives because we will have been caught out of here before it begins. Look. You look at the world today, again, you think of 57 million abortions. Again, ISIS, they're, they're never going to have that. They're rookies compared to us. But for us, it's out of sight, out of mind. 57 million abortions, I read an article, said that those 57 million lives would have produced between 35 and $70 trillion in our economy. That Medicare would not be bankrupt Social Security would not be bankrupt, and there'd be no national debt if those 57 million babies were alive. And who knows how many of them may have cured cancer or done something else. You look at that, you look at war, you look at morality, you look at the Middle East, you look at terrorism, you look at the economies, you look what's going on around us in the world. Everything is rumbling. Everything is rumbling. But all of that, the Bible tells us, presently is restrained. The Holy Spirit will tell us when we get to 2 Thessalonians, will remove himself at some point in regards to his restraining work. Jesus tells us, it's in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, that the warm-up to these last days when prophecy begins to be fulfilled... All three gospels say the same thing. First thing, don't let any man deceive you. Because deception is going to come. There's going to be false Christ. Don't be deceived. Secondly, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Have you noticed that on the news? There's going to be famines, pestilence, deadly infectious diseases, and earthquakes in diverse places. Everything we're seeing today is restrained. But when the day of the Lord comes, Jesus, in Revelation chapter 5, takes the scroll. And when he begins to open the seals on the scroll, the day of the Lord begins. Revelation chapter 6. The first thing that happens is the Antichrist comes forward. There's no longer any restraint on deception. Right now, deception is restrained. You can hear, you know, it's like the horses are in the stall waiting for the, the bell to ring and the gate to open. You know, the, the, the horses, white, red, black, pale of gray. You know, it, it says then the second horse goes, war goes forward without restraint. It's restrained now. What we're seeing is restrained. The day of the Lord comes, then famine follows war. It always has. We're in more trouble than we've ever been in because big companies like Monsanto and so forth are producing seeds that are impotent. So every year the farmers have to go and buy fresh seed. They used to be able to plant from seed from the year before. When we get into a global war situation now, famine is going to be unimaginable. What follows on famine because of dead bodies and so forth in war is pestilence, diseases, And then Revelation chapter 6 says a great earthquake. So all of those things that Jesus said, these are the beginning of sorrows. That's our word here, travail, same word. What we're seeing is the beginning. Jesus said, when you see the beginning, lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. We're seeing the beginning. 
This passage is dividing between the church and the lost. Revelation chapter 5, John is weeping because he says, No man is found worthy to open the seals, to open the scroll, to take the scroll. And it says, No man in heaven. Wait a minute, how did men get in heaven in Revelation chapter 5? No man in heaven, on the earth, or under the earth. Then it says, Then they sing a song, Thou art worthy to take the scroll. And open the seals thereof, for thou wast killed and hast redeemed us by thy blood from every kindred, tribe, and nation. All of the scholars that are post-tribulation say if that word there in Revelation chapter 5 verses 9 and 10 is us, that the church is in heaven before the seals are opened, before the, the day of the Lord begins. They make silly arguments like, well, the book of Revelations was translated from 93 manuscripts and only 23 of them say us. What they don't tell you is out of the 93 manuscripts, only 24 out of the 93 have Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, and 23 of the 24 say us. But the postscript, which is written last and is put in the front of the book, Revelation 1, verses 5 to 7, in every manuscript says us. So there's no, there's no, there's no question. The church... The only way we're not going to be overtaken by what comes on the world is for us to be removed first. What's going to overtake the world is finally when those seals are open, the Antichrist comes forward. A false hope initially, because the world will be shaken, no doubt, by the rapture, by different things. He's going to give a false hope. The world will rejoice in that, and then war comes, then famine, then pestilence. That day of the Lord, the great and terrible day of the Lord begins. And in chapter 6 of Revelation, it says it's wrath right up front. So, well, Pastor Joe, here's the, you know, the logic that comes against it says, you know, it says in this world, you have tribulation. The church has always had tribulation. Why should the last generation of the church escape tribulation if every generation of the church has been in tribulation? That's a backwards logic. The truth is the tribulation in the book of Revelation begins because Jesus himself, the Lamb of God, opens the scrolls. The real logic is why should every generation of the church escape the wrath of the Lamb who paid for them in his blood and the last generation of the church be under the wrath of the Lamb? It's illogical. The church escapes that because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's the only reason. And here he says to the Thessalonians and to you and I, maybe you're freaked out by what's going on around you. There are Christians suffering and being martyred like they were in Thessalonica. It doesn't say Christians don't get cancer, Christians don't get divorced, Christians don't have difficult problems, Christians don't get thrown in prison. What it says is when God begins to judge a Christ-rejecting world, the church has been removed. That's what it says, that we have a hope. And when we see these things begin to take place, we should lift up our heads because our redemption is drawn nigh. We do have a hope. So, yeah, I'm troubled. I mean, I look at the world. We should be, all of us, more troubled in one sense than we've ever been. Look, I'm not depressed. Watched a little of the Sixers last night. I feel bad and bead needs surgery on his foot. I was hoping we were going to have three big guys going into the season. You know, I mean, I, I, I love Chip Kelly because he drives everybody nuts. Nobody knows what he's really doing. I think he's happiest that way. You know, you know, you know, you know so I love steak. I love rack of lamb. I love to be with my kids and my grandkids. I'm, it's not that I don't like being alive. I'm not a depresso. 
But I am more concerned than I've ever been as I look at the world that we live in. I'm wondering what my kids and my grandkids have in front of them. I look at the decisions being made in our nation by our government. I look at the moral conditions that they're going to grow up in. We have loaded them with debt that they're never going to be able to live under, my grandkids. There are people around the world getting nuclear weapons that think you go straight to heaven for sacrificing yourself. Or that think you come back as something else. Nothing to lose. Everything around us is tenuous. And for you and I, you know, I, 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 get, when I got saved in 72. I remember, again, everybody excited about the coming of the Lord. And here we are, you know, f- over 40 years later, and there are more things around us harking of his return right now than ever before. And it seems the church is more ambivalent. We have a whole generation that are in here. They're in here. This is what they do. You like me? You don't like me. I got likes. I got dislikes. What about who wins the next election? What about what's going on in the world? What about what the Supreme Court is doing? What about terrorism? What about the Middle East? What about what's happening in reality? And we have a whole generation that doesn't care. Christ is coming. Jesus is returning. All of the things around us are harking of that. And he's saying here, you and I should not live in terror, neither should the Thessalonians, that the day of the Lord is going to seize on us and overtake us because it isn't. We will have been removed before that day begins. Because we are not of the darkness or of the night. We are of the day. We're of the night. And he contrasts night and day. He contrasts light and darkness. And he says we have a completely different destiny. Therefore, verse 6, the idea is, and, and the, the translation of the, the Greek is so then. It's making a conclusion here in regards to what it's been saying. So then, if that's true, we have a different destiny. Let us not sleep. Now that's not the same word as sleep for... 413, those who have died, let us not sleep, be lethargic. Let us not sleep as others, but let us watch and be sober. The reason for they, in contrast to us, that sleep, now he goes to physical sleep and drunkenness. They that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. And he's saying this is a picture of a world that we're living in where men are ambivalent, Uh, They are unresponsive to what's going on around them. Uh, They are not uh, vigilant. They're indifferent. They're asleep. They're intoxicated with the things of this world. He says, because you and I have different destinies, because we're children of light and not children of darkness, Jesus had encouraged us in the very same things. He said, look, he says, condemnation... Uh, this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Jesus says this, then spake Jesus again and said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You and I have a different destiny. We should be walking in the light because we're children of light. So then, if that's true, verse 
6, so then let us, this is what should be happening, we shouldn't be asleep and, and, and we shouldn't be unreflective, uh, we should not be indifferent, it says as others, very interesting, that word others there, it isn't others of the same kind, alos, it's not others of another kind, heteros, it's a word that's rarely used, Lupoise, it's, it's the idea is others that are without, others that are not included. Over in verse 13 of chapter 4, he says, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others, those without, who have no hope. Uh, Paul uses the same word in Thessalonians when he talks about the children of disobedience. He says, among whom we all had our lifestyle in time past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as others. That's our word again. So here he's saying um, in, um, in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, Therefore let us not sleep as others, as the outsiders, as those that are not part of this, but rather let us watch. It's the word for a sentry. Let us be sober. Let us watch. Let us look at the world we're living in and evaluate things properly. We say we're, we're, we're Christians, now, if I ask this room, do you guys believe the Lord is coming soon? Yes. You just gave that answer because you think it's the right answer, right? Because <laughs> his challenge here is this. Look, he's challenging because what he's saying is Christians can live carnally. Christians can say, I believe the Lord's coming soon and be in pornography, living in adultery, be in sexual sin, be getting drunk, be using heroin. Christian can say, oh yeah, I believe the Lord's coming soon. And being st- doing things, living in a way that, that betrays that confession. Because if you believe the Lord could come at any minute, you'd be cleaning things up. It says any man that has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. He doesn't say these Christians are going to be lost. His exhortation is if we are children of light, and indeed we are, we're not of the darkness then we should live a certain way. So then, he says, this is what we should be doing. We shouldn't be lethargic. You know, we we shouldn't be unconscious as others, those that are outside. Rather, let us watch and be sober. Jesus said in in Mark 13, we should watch and pray, and we shouldn't be sleeping when he comes. He says, let us watch and be sober. Here's the reason. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that are drunken, drunken. That's a picture of the condition of the world. Contrast, but let us, who are of the day, be sober. It's not just sober from drunkenness. It's We're encouraged to be sober in regards to our perspective of the day that we live in. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And the helmet of the hope of salvation, he says this, let us who are of the day be sober. That's a present tense verb. It means we need to continually be vigilant and sober. That's something we should do all the time. When it says putting on the breastplate and the helmet, that's aridus. It means once for all. 
put it on and keep it on. The breastplate was, was put on. The front was either heavy metal, uh, heavy leather or metal, and then it had a piece that came over the back too, and they were tied together in the side. It protected your, your vital organs, your heart and so forth. So he says the breastplate covers love, faith, the heart. It says the helmet covers salvation. And when Paul looks at this, look, he says this is soldiering. If you're going to live differently than the world lives, this, <laughs> there's going to be a contest. There's going to be a struggle. It's a war. It's, it's not easy. Paul will say to Timothy in his swan song when he's signing off, he says to Timothy, he says, look, Timothy, no man that warreth, nobody who's on active duty, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. He doesn't say they're wrong. Somebody who's in military active duty is not dominated by the things that kind of dominate the rest of our lives because they're given over to something else. He says, no man that warreth in active duty entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, the reason that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. So, And of course, that's the Lord. The idea is, do we really have the time to be tangled up in things that we used to. I, sometimes I think of the things Kathy and I argue over or what Christians are, and I think so much of it is nonsense. Does it really matter? If Christ is really coming, what matters is people need to get saved. Our kids and our grandkids need to be on solid ground. There's a battle for that, for their souls. There's a war. There's a struggle. And we can't live the way worldly people live. We can't say, oh, yeah, I believe Jesus is coming, and then be getting drunk or stoned or messing up. Then people look at us, our kids, our grandkids, what's consistent there? That's more confusing than if we just said we didn't believe. So there is a a challenge for us here today. You go home, you'll watch the news today. You see what's going on in the world. We have a responsibility towards one another. I have a responsibility towards all of you. I'm going to give an account for that one day. You have a responsibility towards one another that you'll give an account for one day. Let those of us that are of the day be sober continually. And let us put on for once and for all the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation, to keep our minds, we have a hope. This is not the same context as Ephesians chapter 6 where it describes the armor there because that's a context of warfare, the enemy, outwardly. This is a context of warfare within our mind, our heart, our faith. In these days, the things that should be important to us in our belief in our mental state, that we have hope in a hopeless world. Why is all that important? He's going to tell us here to be encouraged. Why, verses 9 to 11, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you do. Now look, for... Here's, here's the encouragement. This is why we should live that way. For God hath not, it, it is a full negation. It's emphatic there. There's no way, he has no way appointed us to wrath. 
what wrath? It's talking about eternal wrath, that people who are saved are not going to go to hell and endure eternal wrath? Or is it talking about the tribulation? Context determines meaning. Our context here is eschatological. It's prophetic. It's, it's talking about the wrath that begins when the day of the Lord comes. The wrath that's coming on this world during the tribulation period. God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation, and maybe your translation says deliverance. Sometimes this word soteria is translated deliverance. Sometimes it's a word that speaks of the deliverance of nations, and it's translated that way. Luke 1, 69-71, Acts 7:25. Sometimes it speaks of personal deliverance. Acts 27, Philippians 1, Hebrews 11 Here in verse 9, that would be the better translation because of context. Our God hath not appointed us to the wrath of the day of the Lord, but to obtain deliverance from that by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, the question is, is he talking about whether we're alive or dead? But it's not the same word sleep used over in 4.13. These are the same two words that are used in verse 6. Sleep and watch for awake down here. So it seems to be saying, look, am I saying Only spiritual Christians get raptured and carnal Christians do not get raptured. The Bible knows none of that. Backsliders stay here in a Christian purgatory for the tribulation while on-fire Christians get raptured. No, you don't get raptured by performance. Your body, your physical frame, changeling, you know, in the twinkling of an eye, mortal putting on immortal... Corruption putting on incorruption, defying gravity at the speed of light, being caught up into the upper atmosphere. You do that by performance. I'd like to see one or two of you blast off right now to show me how you do that. I know you're thinking, I know one or two here. I'd like to see blast off right now. (laughs) The idea is whether whether we're awake, whether we're doing what we're supposed to, whether we're messing up, that seems to be the context. We're going up. He's coming for us. The encouragement here is not to live carnally like children of darkness. But to live up to our potential in Christ, filled with the Spirit, children of light. God hasn't appointed us to the wrath that's coming in the tribulation, but to obtain deliverance by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. That, that, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, listen now, comfort yourselves together and edify one another also as you do. Wherefore, comfort and edify there is our present imperatives. The idea is... He's asking us, you must continually comfort or you must continually encourage one another. You must continually edify or build one another up. Now, you can't continually comfort one another if you're a post-tribulationist. Cheer up. Seven years of hell, but hey, it'll be over before you know it, you know. 
You have the demons biting on you for five months. You want to die and you can't die. And you have, you know, all the water on earth has turned to blood. You got nothing to drink and you're going to be burned up. You're skipping. Hey, be comforted. This is the same conclusion we have over in 18 in regards to the rapture. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Here it says in verse 11, wherefore, you must continually comfort or encourage yourselves together. That's not just my responsibility, all of you. You see a brother or sister that's, that's discouraged, encourage them. You see a brother or sister that's messing up, challenge them. It says we should edify. It's the word oikamos from for where we get a, a building. The idea is to build up. It's a construction. We should be building one another up. We shouldn't be tearing one another down. Come on, man. Let's go out. We'll have a few brews. Come on, man. Here, smoke half of this. You'll feel better. There's no room for any of that in the scripture. You're talking about a blood-bought son or daughter of the Most High God. It says, woe to anybody who puts a stumbling block in front of them. It would be better for them if a millstone was tied around their neck and they were thrown in the deepest part of the ocean. Our responsibility is to encourage one another constantly, to comfort one another, to build one another up. That's not just, it's plural here. It's not just my job. You know, it says in a healthy body, every joint, every ligament supplies. You see the people you sit with here in church every week? People that are in your family, your husband, your wife, your children, your grandchildren. You have a God-given responsibility to encourage them in the faith, to build them up. The days that we're living in, there's not much in the media that's going to build you up. Not much in the news that's going to be an encouragement. These things... These things, that there is a rapture of God's people, there is a catching away. That catching away distinguishes us and separates us from the thing that's going to catch the world and seize it. We're caught in a different way. Different destinies. If you don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, you sit here every week and hope that I'm right. And I am. And you will believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I'm not afraid to believe in that. You know, think, think what post-tribulationists are saying, that they believe that Jesus is going to catch your body up off the earth, that in a twinkling of an eye, your corruption is going to put on incorruption, your mortal is going to put on immortality. I believe that, but I believe it will happen after he just skewers the church. I just don't believe he loves us enough to let it happen before the tribulation, before the day of the Lord. Oh, I believe it'll happen. I just don't believe he loves us. You know, the scripture says that we should treat our wives the way Christ treats the church. Who beats up the bride before the honeymoon? He's coming to catch us and carry us across the threshold. Who does that? We're blood-bought. We're not appointed to wrath because on the cross, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath to the dregs. He emptied it. In those three hours of darkness, it's unimaginable 
what happened. We, we have hints of it and pictures of it. But that cup in the Garden of Gethsemane, if there's any way, let this cup pass. It wasn't the beating. It wasn't just the scourging. It wasn't just the physical death. It was the eternal death in three hours of darkness. It's the cup of God's wrath poured out without a mixture. It says the smoke of the torment of that cup ascends forever and forever. And Jesus drank it for us. And we will not come under the punishment of a Christ-rejecting world by the Lamb of God himself. We will stand with him in glory and we will watch from the mezzanine. How close is that? How should it affect us? How should it inspire us? How should we be living if we really believe that? Great challenge to take away. Do I say I believe Christ could come in any minute and I'm watching pornography? Cursing, carrying on, drunk, stoned, fighting over stupid stuff, being driven by things that have no weight to them. Great challenge for us. Rather, you know, you look at some of these faces here in this room, you'll see people who love, encourage one another. Comfort one another. Build one another up. In Hebrews, it'll say that we should gather ourselves together. Stir one another up to faith and good works. Especially as we see the day drawing near. Not neglecting the gathering together of ourselves. There's a God-given responsibility for all of us to encourage one another. Do you believe that? Two of us. That's good. I'm going to tell the rest of you, you have a God-given responsibility towards the people that are sitting around you. It isn't just me, because you're going to know things about people I'm never going to know. And it's your responsibility to say, come on, man, it's just Christ is coming. Let go of that. Get out of that, man. Put it down. Don't mess with it. And the healthier each member is, the healthier the whole body is. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things, Lord, and and the hope, Lord, that you place in here, Lord, the exhortation to us, Lord, to realize there's a great distinction, Lord, in, in the destinies of men. There's a great contrast of those, Lord, who are in darkness and those who have received the light of life, the walk in the light with you, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for the light you've given us. We look at the news, we look at what's going on, Lord, and we are aware that things are winding down, Lord. That light is almost indescribable, Lord, as we try to share with others, as people ask how we know, but we're so thankful that deep within we know, Lord. We know you're coming. We know times are changing, Lord. The light that you give to us from your word, we're so thankful for that. Lord, I pray for myself, Lord, I'm part of all of this, Lord, and and, and everyone else here, that, Lord, there be fresh challenge in our lives, Lord, a sweet encouragement of your spirit and of your word, Lord, a refreshing, Lord, examination of the fact that that we will be caught up and taken because of what you've accomplished on the cross, Lord, not because of performance, but a genuine desire, Lord, to let our lives speak the way we live. Let let the light shine, Lord. Grant that to us. We know it's all of grace. Father, we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Joe Foch. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Joe's teaching ministry by visiting ccphilly.org.